0: Good morning. Good afternoon, brother. I'm usually saying good morning at our little local church down in Russellville, Arkansas. We've got a, oh, okay. See, this is newfangled stuff for me. I'm not used to this kind of thing. Are we on? Still not on? I don't know what's wrong. I only dropped it three times. Wait a minute. The box is loose. There we go. that better? Still nothing mm-hmm. I had it on. yeah. still nothing. Well in conclusion, I'd like to say <laughs> Is that better? And hear me now that may be a bad thing <laughs> well greetings from russellville arkansas we're a little small i call it a little uh wide place of road population signs are back to back but uh, we've been uh meeting down there now for several years uh, we've been we've got a little independent church and we've been meeting there uh what uh, rick 13 years now and it's pretty much rick and i started the little church and his wife and my wife and his wife is gone, and my wife is gone, he's got a new wife. I'm still looking, but uh, I've got a lady friend that goes a lot of places with me. Her uh, daughter calls us Mr. and Mrs. Howe. My name is Gary Pettit, but uh, she refers us to the Gilligan's Island, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Howe. And uh, because we're always, like we're always doing stuff together, so. But anyway, it's great to be here. Uh, Mr. Murphy is uh, definitely, you can see, uh, some good works that's been going on here, the other men that's helping out. Uh, you're very blessed to have a fee site like this to come to, especially if you belong to independent groups like we do. I know uh, Fred Porter, his little group. there's several people here from that area. I know them. I know very few people from uh, Tulsa. I used to go out there and play uh, softball an awful lot back in the old days, back when I could still get around a little bit. That was a long time ago. That's was probably 20 years ago. I've been around a long time. I was eight years old when I went to my first, uh, well, no, I was 11, I guess it was. We started attending church when I was eight years old. We didn't have a church. We had a a minister come around on baptizing tours, and he'd talked to my dad a few times. And finally, my dad, in 1953, I guess it was, decided he wanted to be baptized. That was after we'd made a trip out west to Pasadena and met Mr. Mr. Armstrong and a few of the other men that were there, Norman Smith, Herman Hay, I think uh, Rod Meredith was there. And they all counseled, uh, counseled my dad for baptism. It was about a year before he was finally baptized, so. But uh, they came around, Ken Swisher and uh, Raymond McNair came, I think, and baptized him in 1953. And basically I grew up in the church, and in 1965, the old saying goes I made my plunge. I was baptized in California in 65. and I've only missed one feast since 1955. I was in 1956. And I've been to to a whole lot of them. I've seen a lot of water go under the bridge. Some of it was wonderful. Some of it wasn't so wonderful. But uh, I notice a lot of you uh, probably have seen a lot of things, too, and you're still here. So you know where the truth is. You know what? the important thing is that we know that God is still working and that's what I want to speak about today 12 tests of Abraham you know if it had not been for Abraham and his his ability to uh, prove to our father that he was loyal and was going to do exactly what God told him to do we might not be here today because Abraham was the father of the faithful and he also was the A father of a multitude of people, as it says in the scriptures, as the sands are on the sea, on the beaches of the sea, so your people will be. If it hadn't been for dear Abraham, we might not be here today. But Abraham's faith was tested at least 12 Pacific times. Some of them were not what we might call big tests. If you were just reading through the scriptures, you might not even think they were tests. But after, but together they established a picture of Abraham. As for what Abraham was as a person whose faith was genuine. And after the last of these, God said, Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And you'll find that in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. Each of Abraham's tests can have applications for us. And that's what I want to speak about mainly today, is how the test that Abraham went through applies to us. In our everyday walk with christ in our everyday walk with god because we all walk with him some of us uh, walk differently than others but we all the bottom line comes we're all a part of the family of god and we're all walking with him and he's called us all out of this world in genesis chapter 12 if you'll turn with me over there the first test that abraham went through was when he left Ur and Haran for an unknown destination at God's direction. Let's turn over to chapter twelve and we're going to read down to to verse seven. It said, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. Now I remember the first time I left home, and it wasn't fun, because when you're raised at home it's hard to get out of the nest. And I thought my dad was going to break my plate because it was a long time before I made up my mind to leave because the food was pretty good there, the bed was pretty soft, but he decided it was time for me to move on. And from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation, I will bless you. Now we all know that Abraham did this. And I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we look around. Here we are many thousands of years later. Is the earth blessed? Is our country blessed even though we're, we don't appreciate what we have in this country? We're still blessed because of Abraham, because of what he was able to do. So Abram then, in verse 4, departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Lot, of course, was his nephew, his brother's son. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now think about that. He was 75 years old before he decided to go out on his own. I'll, I'll be happy if I make it to 75. You know, I'm 67. I had cancer this summer. And, you know, your life passes in front of you when you have cancer. And uh, here, old Abraham was 75 when we left home. Then Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. So they had servants, and they took them with them. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Then it says in verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as a tirbeth tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were then in the land. Now I may pronounce these words different sometimes than you do, but that's the way they read to me, so hopefully you can bear with me with that. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land, and there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So this was the first test that Abraham had to go through. Would he do what God said, leave home and go and start a whole new life? Well, he was able to do that. He passed that test. But how would you apply that test to our life? Well, when you think about what Abraham did, you can look at your own application of your life and just think of it like this. Do I trust God with my future? Do we trust God to take our take the reins of our life? Or are we a little bit hesitant and worry a little bit about turning our life completely over to God and to Jesus Christ? Do we kind of think, well, you know, I, I want to, but I'm still I'm still I'm still of a sound mind and I think sometimes I need to make my own decisions, or do we trust God in what we do? In other words, is his will a part of our decision-making? Now, Abraham had to make a decision when he left Ur to move to another country completely, and heaven only knows how far that was. And they had to do it on horseback. Well, not horseback, but a lot of it maybe was on camel, and a lot of it was just flat-out walking. And they had to do this. They had to trust and have faith in God that he would uh, direct them where he wanted to go. Well, the same with us. We need to trust God with our future. When we left home for the feast, and what a wonderful feast so far it's been, the weather's been outstanding. Like we did down in Russellville, uh, we had talked to Dale Murphy, or I had talked to him about this feast site. We came by here last year one day, but we didn't know if we were coming back up here or not this year. And uh, I was in touch with Dale, and Dale was in touch with me, so I'd I told I told the congregation down there that's where I was going, and I'm going to take a chance on it and come here. I didn't I didn't know the people. The only people really I knew was a few from Hot Springs, at our congregation. I never had met Dale before, and so here we are. And I look around, I see the same faces I'm used to at home. You're all happy. You're all filled with God's spirit, and uh, I know you're all happy and thankful I'm here. Well, maybe you won't be after I get through. But anyway, we're all here together. I've been keeping the feast all these years. I've met a lot of people, known a lot of people, and uh, I'm thankful I'm here. So it was a, it was a time that I had to trust God to make the decision for me. That this is where I needed to be. So here I am. Over in Genesis chapter 13, let's just turn over another chapter. I'm just kind of go going to go through these chapters as a. Uh, Kind of like a thesis, I guess, and go through. We'll talk about each chapter for a ways on different things that Abraham went through. In Genesis chapter 13, start out reading in verse 8. We're going to read down to verse 13. Verse 8, says, So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Well, if you back up, brethren, and read verse 6 and verse 7, you'll see why they had strife. Now the land was not able to support them. Well if you're from Texas look out neighbors if you're from northern Oklahoma and Arkansas you may have a lot of new neighbors because the people in Texas can't survive down there without water. So we may have some new new neighbors moving in on us going back to the verse here says now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together in other words they had too many animals they had a lot of sheep they had a lot of goats and probably cattle too and i've been a cattle rancher for many many years i'm not now I sold out but i can tell you cattle can eat a lot of grass goats can eat a lot of grass so can sheep and you have to have pasture to feed them and probably Lot's herds and Abraham's herds were so big that the land that they were using wouldn't support it. So what happens? And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. In other words, these people worked for Abraham and they worked for Lot and they couldn't get along because they they were fighting over the land that was there for the use for their animals and also on top of that the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelled in the land so they had to deal with them so starting over again in verse 8 it says so Abram said to Lot please let there be no strife between you and me and and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen for we are brethren and Lot being his nephew so he didn't want to have a problem with his nephew So in verse 9, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take to the left, then I will go to the right. See, Abraham was trying to work it out where they wouldn't have a problem. And if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Wouldn't it be nice if people today could work out their problems like that? So Lot, in verse 10, lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. He looked out and saw all the fertile land, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord. Destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. This was before Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord. So it must have been well watered. Must have been like the Ozark Mountains down here when everything is going good. Plenty of water, plenty of pasture. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Verse 11 says, Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Then verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But in verse 13, we know that what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. They were transgressing the law. So Abraham directed a peaceful separation from Lot, and settled at the Oaks of Mamre. And that land wasn't as fertile as what Lot got. But Abraham was willing to take that land to keep him having problems with his nephew. So how do we apply that to us? Well, one way we can do it, and just think about this. When you have a a situation with a neighbor, a situation with a relative, or anything like that, do I trust God with my interest? even when I seem to be receiving an unfair settlement I don't know if you've ever had to go and sit down across the table from an hour IRS agent about taxes but I can certainly tell you you feel like you're getting an unfair settlement unfair judgment in most cases I have had to do that more than once because I was in business for myself for a lot of years but uh, so many things in this life are not the way we want them to be but we have to figure out can we trust god with our interest even when it seems that we're receiving an unfair judgment we have to think about ourselves is it working out for us and are we willing to trust god in in all that we do over in genesis chapter 14 is another test we start out reading in verse 13 this is another test were that Abraham rescued Lot from five kings. And we see what faithfulness does. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 13, it says, Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the Turbenth trees of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Esco, and brother of Anar, and they were allies with Abram. How did they ever come up with those names? That's unbelievable. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, now he's saying his brother, he's talking about Lot. And Lot, of course, was his brother's son. He armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now he divided his forces against him by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus so he brought them all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people and then the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba that is the king's valley after his return from the defeat of okay from that town and the king's herd were with him so then Melchizedek King of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God's Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed the God Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he gave them a tithe of oil. If we back up and read the beginning of that, it said, Abraham rescued Lot from the five kings. Were well, those other kings... The king of Sodom and Gomorrah and the king of admah they all decided they were going to uh, take care of these five kings that had attacked that valley. Well, when the going got going bad, they all separated and left and left uh, the captives out there pretty much by themselves. So Abraham had faith and he went down and rescued his nephew from the five kings. And he destroyed those armies with 300 people. He had God's help to do that. And, of course, after he did that, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah, they were all happy and they wanted to, to do their thing for Abraham. The application that applies to us out of that, which I read that and I thought, well, how does that apply to me? But does my faithfulness to others bear witness to my trust in God's faithfulness? Can people trust me? Do they trust my faith? Do they, uh, do they uh, see that I bear witness of God in my life? Abraham beared witness of God. He beared witness of Melchizedek. But when people look at, look at me or look at you or look at anyone else, can they see that in our lives, that we bear witness of our, of our Savior, bear witness of our Father? That's the thing we have to think about. So if you just write it down, it says, does my faithfulness to others bear witness to my trust in God's faithfulness? That's what we have to do. But in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17, we'll read that down to verse 24. Abraham gave a tithe of the loot to the godly king of Salem, Melchizedek, and refused the gift of the king of Sodom. In verse 17 of 14, of chapter 14, it says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shevel. I read this a minute ago. That is the king's valley. After his return from the de- defeat of Chedorah, Lomer, and the kings who were with him, then Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. I think Melchizedek, and I might be wrong about this, but I think Melchizedek, was Jesus Christ. I believe that with all my being. Blessed be Abram of God most high possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands and he gave him a tithe of it all Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of all the things that he took. Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham give me the persons and take the goods for yourself Now, this is where the king of Sodom messed up. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. He'd already paid alms to Jesus Christ, paid alms to Melchizedek. Then in verse 23, it says that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours. In other words, he didn't want anything from Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't want anything from those kings. Lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. He didn't want them to be able to gloat and brag about how they would made Abraham rich. He didn't want that. Except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Anar, Eshchol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. In other words, take care of them. So Abraham gave a tithe of the, of the stuff that he possessed and take took to the godly king of Salem, Melchizedek, and refused the gift of the king of Sodom. He didn't want to give Sodom any ammunition that could be used against him. Abraham was a very smart man. Abraham knew the heart of God, and God knew Abraham's heart. But now, you know, when we read these scriptures. How do how do we get uh, applications from those to help us in our life well if you think about it there's so many things in our life that parallel what Abraham went through and just like what this deal here was where he was uh, stood up against Sodom the king of Sodom and said no I don't want your things but we have to think about in our life so I always like to think of it like this am I watchful in my dealings if you uh, live out here in this world you've got to be watchful with people that I give proper honor to God and refuse to receive honor that belongs to him I mean you think about it in our in our world today people are always looking for an advantage and they're always looking to get the high seat and they always want to be up in front I'm not talking about church people I'm talking about the world in general of how it is and we have to be careful that we don't get caught up in that and we don't allow the 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 things of this world to possess us and cause us to get into that type of attitude and that frame of mind Abraham knew the heart of the king of Sodom he knew what what could come from that and uh, the same way with us when we do we have dealings with banks we have dealings with whoever we're dealing with our neighbors we don't want our neighbors to ever think that we put ourselves before God God should be always in the forefront of our lives Jesus Christ should always be in the forefront of our lives in all our activities whether it be in church whether it be in our business dealings what what we do with the schools. I know there's several young people in here and hallelujah for that It's unusual anymore to see young people in a Church of God congregation. They're just not there They're just not there And it's good to see a young person with a Bible in his hand actually opening it up and uh, Writing down scriptures. You don't see that anymore And this this is where I think sometimes we come up short because I don't know about you, but when I look in America, I, I don't see too many more years there. And I want this church to go on. And we've got to make it available for our young people so it will go on. I look back to the people that come here. This family right over here is from Russellville. And they got three young boys there. We call them the Three Stooges, but they're here with us. So... They're fine, fine young men, and they took out of school so they could be here. But we think about all the tests that Abraham went through, and there were so many. And some of the big ones is like the next test that he went through in Genesis chapter 15. We'll start out reading in verse 1. Now you think about this. I don't know how much older Abraham was, but he was 75 when he left home. And God promised him that he would have a son. And I'm sure he thought, yeah, uh uh-huh, I can just see that. And I I imagine when they talked to Sarah, his wife, she really got a hee-haw out of that. But Abraham trusted God's promise that he would have a son in, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. And said, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? In other words, he didn't think he had a way for an inheritance to go anywhere beyond him. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Wasn't even a part of his family. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. He, had, he didn't have one. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. And, you know, if you were Abraham and he brought you out and said, Look up into the heavens. And he said, Count the stars if you're able to number them. Well, I've tried that. Have you ever tried that to look up and see how many stars you could count? You can't do it. Because you can look right into a group of stars. Okay, I've got all them counted. And you blink your eyes and there's new ones there. It's just unbelievable what uh, the universe has to offer look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them and he said to him so shall your descendants be I'm sure Abraham was chuckling under his breath he thought, yeah this, this Melchizedek I realize he's uh, he's uh, uh, a messenger of God but he's, he's way off the page there I bet he was thinking I bet he thought oh my I wish I could believe this I wish I could believe this, when Abraham didn't even have a heir, didn't even have a son. But it happened. He promised him a son, and he got one. So that was another test that Abraham had to go through, another test to prove to God that he was the person he was looking for to start his family, to start his family here on this earth. So we look at that test, how does that apply to us? All we've got to do is just think about our own situation. How often do we consciously reaffirm our trust in God's promises? Think about the promises he's promised us. A chance to be God's. A chance to be Jesus Christ's elder, our elder brother, his very brother and sister. A chance to be in the kingdom of God. A chance to live a thousand years at this Feast of, Feast, Feast of Tabernacles represents, the millennium. An opportunity, brethren, to help set this world right. An opportunity to work out of Jerusalem and Jesus Christ, our elder brother, working with us. An opportunity to work with King David. I'm sure he won't be working with me. I may be a doorkeeper somewhere, but David won't be, he won't have time for a. For me, I'm pretty sure, but I just hope I'm there. I want to be there. If it's picking up trash on the side of the road, whatever, I'll, I'll be tickled to be there. That's our future. That's the promises that we have that we're living off of. Abraham had these promises, and I'm sure he thought of them the same way we did. It's a, you got to have faith to believe the things that God told Abraham. And we have to have faith on the things that are being told to us through the scriptures and through uh, uh, the applications that we live. I've been, like I said, 55 years attending the feast. And I'm sure the first few years of the feast, I had no clue because I was there because my parents said I was going to be there. But I went because I knew what would happen if I didn't. My dad had the fastest belt in the county. And believe me he could whip that thing out and i mean it would be singing too so i did what he told me to do most of the time sometimes i didn't there was times that i probably uh, managed to get around him but there wasn't very many but he took us to the feast he made us sit there quietly he gave me a bible and told me to start learning the ten commandments i couldn't say them now If somebody offered me a million dollars i couldn't say them word for word But when I was 12 years old, I could say the Ten Commandments front and back word by word because he made me memorize them, made my sister memorize them. I I couldn't do it now, but I'm thankful that he did that. I wasn't then. I thought, "What, what do I need to do that for? But he wanted me to know what the Ten Commandments were and how important they were to my way of life and to my living. And we learned them. We learned about the holy days. We learned about the Sabbath day. We learned all those things as a child. And I believe that scripture, when it says you raise your child in the way you should go, he won't he won't bear, uh, he won't go away from it. I did. I tried to go away from it. When I left home, I said, I'll never go to that church again. I'm on my own. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to live it up. I'm going to have me a high old time. What happened? Friday night come around? I said, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'd go into a restaurant. I was about 18, 19 years old. They'd have them big old pork chops laying up there. And they were a lot cheaper than beef. I said, oh, my, I can't wait till i bite into one of those things. But I'd go up there almost ready to open my mouth and order one of them. Oh, I can't do it. My dad said to run clean. And I didn't. I didn't eat it. And to this day, I've still never eaten shrimp that I know of. If I may, unless someone slipped it to me and I didn't know it. But all those things, we had to affirm our trust in God's promises, as Abraham did. Just the way it was. One of the biggest arguments that I've had with people, and to digress just a little bit from that, is about Noah going on the ark with all the clean and unclean animals. And I finally told a guy one time, he loved pork. He'd brag about eating pork Oh, He loved it. He loved pork chops. He loved ham. He loved pork bacon, the whole thing. And I asked him one day, I said, you know, if, if old Noah had to eat hog, you wouldn't be able to eat it now. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if, if he just took a pair of each animals up there and he ate pork, there wouldn't be any pork today. It had all been eat up. Noah had ate it all. And you know, that fellow's never brought that up to me since then. <laughs> oh, we have a little group down at meet, meets at Adkins, Arkansas at the McDonald's. Uh, we have a name for it. It's called The Old, and I won't go any farther. But uh, there's about 15 of us old guys meet down there every morning and drink coffee. We can, we can buy our coffee for $0.50 cents a cup down there and drink all of it that you want. We get into some real arguments. There's, there's Pentecost that go in there, and there's church there's Baptists and Church of Christ, and then there's me, and uh, they're always trying to trap me and put me in a, a bad light because I keep the Sabbath day. And I, I'll just come out to the same thing. I said, well, if Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights, how did he get there from Friday night to Sunday morning? Well, uh, 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 you know, and I said, well, that didn't do the answer for me. If he was in the grave three days and three nights, how did he get there? How did you stay in there three days and three nights? Well, uh, well, the, they counted time different back then. I said, "Oh, is that the answer?" Well, okay. I said, "Well, I see right now you and I've got a different opinion. We'll always have one until you come to your senses." But uh, and you know, usually they want you to come to yours. <laughs> but anyway, moving along here, I didn't want to digress too much. Where was I? Genesis chapter 15. Okay. Another test Abraham went through was that he, he received the promised land by faith, though the fulfillment would not come from many generations. When verse 7 of 15, it says, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Well, I've studied those scriptures and I think what uh, they're trying to tell us there is that there was a, a time coming when Israel was going to be separated from God for 400 years, and they were in, in Egypt. But after they were taken out of Egypt by Moses, they did go back and inherit the land that had been promised to Abraham. But it was several centuries on down the road before it finally happened. But that promise was filled. It was a promise that was given to Abraham if he would remained faithful, that his children would someday occupy that land. But how does that apply to us? Trust. Trust, brethren. It says, how have I demonstrated my continued trust in God during times when I have been required to wait? When I have been required to wait. I've known people, and I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but I've known them over the years that left God's church because one person was ordained before him. That's a travesty. He gave up and quit because somebody else got a reward sooner than he did. Well, see his whole purpose in life was to get that reward. He wasn't interested in the fact and being thankful that his brother was recognized and given a greater purpose and a greater life I mean greater work to do he was upset and left the church because it wasn't him And I've known people who've done that you know the definition of a deacon in God's church many people oh yeah I know the definition what is the definition of a deacon will pack Mew. That's what you are, a pack mule. That's Arkansas terminology. But that's what it is when you have an office or something. You're working. You're constantly giving your life so that others will be more comfortable. And that's what Abraham's, Abraham has done here. He sacrificed and he kept the promises so that God would be able to use him later on. So we have to think about that. If we have to wait on something, make it something that's important and make it worthwhile. Don't give up and quit because things didn't work out the way you wanted them. Another test in Genesis chapter 17. In verse 9 it said, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants, after... lost my place here, after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant now that would be a test for me if i didn't know what circumcision was and abraham went through these same thoughts i'm sure he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin That person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this was a covenant that God established with Abraham. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and I probably would have too. I would have been astonished, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Ishmael, see, was his son by his his handmaid. And God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. But as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. I'm sure Sarah was thinking, what in the world are you getting me into? Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day as God had said to him. Now, I don't know, I, I, I love comedy, but can you see 150 men all standing out there and, and Abraham going down through there with a knife, circumcising all these men? I mean, if you let that play on your mind a little bit, you can't help but laugh. Now, that would be something to see. And think about it, Abraham was 99 years old when he had it done. He was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That myself right there would tell God that I was what I said I was to do that. And Ishmael, his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael. And all the men of his house born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. What a day that must have been. Unbelievable. So God's command to Abraham was circumcise every male in his family. Well, how do we apply something like that to us? Hopefully not that way, but in what occasion in my life have I acted simply in obedience to God and not because I understood the significance of what I was doing? You just did it, no matter what. You just did it. You went about your business and took care of what God wanted you to do and done it. These are tests that Abraham went through. And these are tests that we can look at and and realize that uh, uh, they apply to us. Over in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, we read there. Starting out, and we we'll read down to verse 8. Then the Lord appeared to him. Oh, I thought Dale was coming up to get me by the tear-bent trees of memory as he was sitting in the tent day, tent door in the heat of the day. I hope you're turning the heat up. I'm, I'm having to step around here. I've lost all the feeling in one leg already. <laughs> I know he's wanting us to go early, so. But uh, So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Because he knew it was Melchizedek and two angels and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Abraham knew he was a servant of God. Please, let a little water be brought, and let me wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by, inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abraham, Abraham hurried, in, hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. He also took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but we've all probably entertained strangers before that were angels unaware. These, these men turned out to be Melchizedek and two angels. And as, as you know, they were on their way to take care of a couple of cities that were turning out to be horrible sinning. But the application to what Abraham did to these strangers, think about it in your own life. When was the last time you practiced hospitality in your own life? When was the last time you picked a, picked your corn, or I don't know how many people make gardens in here, but I make one every summer. How many times have you had uh, offered your garden to your neighbor, to keep it from going to waste? Just had the neighbor come over and pick it, to keep it from being lost. Now, my lady friend Faye Wade back here. She's a dear friend of mine, my next-door neighbor. She says if my peas need to be picked, she'll pick them. That uh, I'd best not be giving her peas away. But uh, she don't know I slip around and do it sometimes. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's something we have to think about. When you're driving down the road, just the other day, I'll give you an example of what I did, and I'm nobody. But uh, I don't normally pick up people. Because one time I stopped to help three women on the three-way that were broke down. They had their hood up on their vehicle, and they were all standing around their car. And I said, well, I'll stop and see if I can help them. And as I pulled up in front and started to back up to help them, here come three men running out of the woods behind them. Well, they had something else on their mind. I took off. I, didn't, you know, I felt bad about it, but you know, three men running out after— I'd stopped. Uh, I figured, well, they plan on taking my car, maybe get rid of me too. So you have to be careful with your hospitality. But just the other day, I stopped and picked up a man. It was about 105 degrees, and he was walking. I said, you know, it's just me by myself. This is a back, kind of a back road. I didn't figure this fellow was a problem. And I, so I stopped. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and here he come running. He got to my car, and I opened the door for him, and he got in. He said, You don't know how thankful I am. He said, I've been walking. He'd walked about six or seven miles trying to get down to a pawn shop that we have in Adkins, Arkansas, because they had a sale on pots and pans, and he wanted to get down there and get him some pots and pans. Lived in a little old camp, kind of a camper trailer over on the road. Didn't have a pot or a window, either one. But he was going after those pots and pans. And so we got down to Edkins, and I said, well, I'm going to turn left here. He said, that's just fine. Right over there is where I'm going. And he said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, you know, what if that had been an angel? What if that had been an angel? I don't know if it was or not. I never saw the person again after that. But if I drove by him and not helped him, I wouldn't have never known one way or the other. And I don't make a I don't make a custom of doing that. But at that day something just hit me that I needed to help this man. And that's that's what I did. Now if I'd have been out on the road and he'd have came by me and waved at me and I was burning up, I might have said something that would have taken my reward right away from me right then because I might have said something I shouldn't have said. But I've been out there stranded before. It's not fun. It's not fun. But over in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 22, where it talks about Abraham praying for Sodom. And we think about that. Do we pay, pray for our enemies? Do we do these things? Do we sit when we get down on our knees? Is the first person we think of to pray for is our enemies? We should. We should pray that they wouldn't hate us anymore. And we should pray that we wouldn't hate them. We should pray that we would come together and and be humble with each other and love each other. I've been impressed with all the hugging going on around here. I've never seen men hug each other as much as this group does, and and uh, I don't know if they're if they want a bed or something. I don't know what's going on, but they they really are. They seem very happy and content with each other. Genesis chapter 18 verse 22 it says, "Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abram still stood before the Lord." And Abram Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? This is where he was talking to Melchizedek about the people in Sodom. Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? For be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. for be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth do right. So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare it all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham went right on down the line and said the same thing again, about forty-five on down the verses. And then right on down, he got down to the very bottom there in verse 32 he said then he said let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but once more Suppose 10 should be found there and he said I will not destroy it for the sake of 10 So in verse 33 the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place So Abraham prayed for Sodom And if he could have found just a few people there that were righteous he was spared the city. God would have spared it. But what did he find? One person? Lot? Lot was it, and Lot went out with his family. That was all. But how do you apply something like that to your life and my life? Are we eager to see people punished? Are we eager to see people have things done to them because we didn't necessarily like the way that they treated us or treated someone else? Or do we care for people in spite of their sinfulness? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I have to think about that. Anytime I have a something come up in my life, I have to kind of think, well, what would he have done with me? How would he have handled a situation with me? Would he have treated me the same way I'm wanting to treat him? So we have to think about that. If a person sins against you, you should forgive him. If you sin against someone, they should forgive you. But these things are hard for us to do, isn't it? Hard for us to do. I've seen it over the years where true friends have parted ways because one would not forgive the other. One person wouldn't forgive the other of a transaction that happened against them. They just wouldn't get over it. They wouldn't let it go. So he ended up losing a true friend, and maybe that true friend left the church. Little things like that can become big items if we let them. In Genesis chapter 20. I'm about done, brethren. I see I, I you know the mind can only absorb what the bottom can stand. <laughs> and and you can tell real fast when the bottom is beginning to get sore and Abram journeyed from there to the south and dwelt among dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerur now Abraham said of Sarah his wife she is my sister and Abimelech king of Gerur sent and took Sarah but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him indeed you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife but Abimelech did not, had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister, and she even she herself said, He is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hand I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. In other words, he didn't have any relations with that woman. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech, which was a smart man, called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. See, Abraham was, was kind of cowardly. He didn't want to walk in there and take a chance on Sarah, uh, on him finding out Sarah was his wife because he was afraid he'd be killed. He was afraid that Abimelech would have him killed so he could get his wife because he didn't know Abimelech's heart. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father and not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me in every place wherever we go. Say of me, he is my brother. So he did it to try to save his own skin. And Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and restored Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So in verse 17, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children because the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Abimelech, lucky for Abraham, Abimelech had a good heart. And Abimelech feared God. Abraham admitted his wrongdoing and took the actions needed to set things right. He did what was right in God's eyes. How do you apply that? The test that he just went through and failed and then he came back and made it right. How do we apply it? How does that apply to us? Well, when we sin, is my tendency to cover it up? When I sin, do I try to cover it up, don't let anyone know about it? Do I try not to confess? Do I not uh, try to uh, come come forward and set things right, or do I practice the truth that an apology sometimes might be accompanied by restitution? If you've cheated someone, do you go to them and admit it, and try to set set things right, or do we try to hide it and try to go on in life and let it float through? These tests were things that went that God did for Abraham to test his faith and to see if he was going to be the father of the faithful and be our elder brother and the leader of Israel. The great nation of Israel came out of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 21 It talks about a time when Abraham negotiated a treaty with abimelech concerning the will. we're only going to read a couple verses out of that but in verse 21 of chapter i'm sorry verse 22 of chapter 21 he dwelled in the wilderness of parent and his uh, i'm in the wrong chapter Genesis chapter 21, verse 22. I'm sorry. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. And then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant between them. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flocks by themselves. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. In other words, he wanted Abimelech to know the well belonged to him. Therefore he called that place Beersheba because the two of them swore an oath there thus they made a covenant at Beersheba so Abimelech rose with Fico the commander of his army and they returned to the land of the Philistines then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there called on the name of the Lord the everlasting God and then Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days so he was able to negotiate a treaty with Abimelech even after all the things that he had done all the things, that the, the harm and the shame that he had brought on Abimelech because of his deeds, he was able then to go back and negotiate a treaty with Abimelech concerning a well. Small test. Small test. But God was testing him to see if he really was going to be the father of the faithful. Then over in Genesis chapter 2, brethren, as I'm about to wind up here, is the greatest test that Abraham, Abraham had to go through. In verse 1 it said, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. We all know this story. Makes me wonder if Abraham really thought that God would make him sacrifice his son. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, "My son, God will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering." So the two of them went together. Now I don't know about you, but this would be things would be going through my mind pretty fast. Things would be turning real quick. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And verse 12, he said, And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That's the point I was trying to get to through the whole sermon. Abraham was willing to prepare a sacrifice he was willing to prepare his own son and we read on down through the scriptures we know that he provided an animal for the sacrifice but God stopped him even though Abraham said earlier we will come back to you he went up there with a full intent full intent of sacrificing his son he was able to pass that test but if we apply that to our lives, in what way have we in our lives demonstrated that I will not allow anything to come before God? If you said that about yourself, what what would you allow to come before you become come before you come before the Father? It's something we all have to think about. Because there are times that we compromise if we're not careful. We will compromise. So as I said before, Abraham's faith was tested at least 12 Pacific times. Some of them weren't really what you would call great tests, but they were tests that he went through. But together, brethren, they establish a picture of Abraham as a person whose faith was genuine, totally genuine. He trusted God before he trusted anything. And after the last of these, God said, Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your very son, your only son, from me. Abraham passed the test. Abraham's waiting the resurrection. But when the resurrection comes, when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, Abraham will be in that first resurrection. What we have to do is decide if we will be there.